I'm asked to give the most exciting message in this whole series. That's humor. Um, Reformed Baptist Mission Services and the Missionary. I heard a pastor once was once asked to preach at a local association on committees. We gave him a hard time. What verse did you use? Uh, what kind of exegesis helped you there? Uh, but actually, I found a verse, and I found part of our confession. In 1 Corinthians 14, verse 40, where the Apostle Paul is explaining how church need to be done right, he says, all things must be done decently and in order. God is a God of order. He's not a God of chaos or confusion. In our second London Confession in chapter 26 on the church, paragraph 14, it's beyond caviling that the confession uses the word communion to mean formal association, not simply the Lord's Supper communion, and not simply two fellowships, two Christians getting together for fellowship. It's not a synonym for the word for fellowship. Communion, holding communion together means holding formal association together. And it says in 26.14 that the churches ought to hold association amongst themselves, excuse me, for their peace, their increase of love, and their mutual edification, that we ought to hold communion together. We ought to be in formal association together. Reformed Baptist Mission Services is the arm of the Association of Reformed Baptist Churches of America, which promotes, educates, cultivates, and helps in the vetting process of foreign missionary church planners in consultation with their local churches. RBMS is not a sending agency. It's not a foreign missions board. We believe that the scriptures on our confession make clear that the local church identifies, grows up, and then sends missionary church planters. Or to put it in everyday parlance, missionaries are employees of the sending church, not of ARBCA or RBMS. I've been surprised in the debacle of the last couple of years. Men who ought to know better think that they were employees of ARBCA or employees of RBMS. And well, no, you're, you're an employee of your, the church that sent you out. We just helped vet you. And we helped organize your finances, but we, we didn't sign you up, and you don't work for us. And so just to make that clear. However, your local church, as a member of ARPCA, does work in cooperation with other associational Baptist churches to pool their resources to get missionaries to the field of service. Well, we, in May of 1996, in one of the front parlor rooms at the Old Grace Baptist Carlisle Building, seven or eight of us met to discuss starting a formal association. And uh, I may be the only one left from that original meeting, but there were seven or eight of us. Some have retired, some have passed away, some have gone on to other things. But one of the reasons we said we need to start an association because we said if for no other reason you were interested in missions, 15 churches are going to support only so many missionaries. You can't have an infinite number of missionaries going overseas supported by a handful of churches. We need to grow up our own stateside association of churches. We need it for the sake of pastoral education, for um, publications, for church planting. We needed to have a stateside national association of Reformed Baptist churches. And so with that understanding, we met then in November of 1996 to move from having just RBMS to forming an Association of Reformed Baptist Churches of America, which was ratified by the signing of the Constitution and the Confession in March of 1997. 
the local church that can provide all the training and all the financial resources to send one missionary church planting couple to the field is very few, let alone two or more. If all of it was beholden to this church where you had to pay for everything for this missionary, it would be hard, but I'm sure you could do it. You're already supporting him now. He's not living in a foreign culture yet. He doesn't have increased expenses. But there's no way most churches could ever have more than one. Now, we believe that in the God's providence and growing our number of stateside churches and as working together, we can support more and more missionaries that way. What's the goal of Reformed Baptist Mission Services? It's Reformed Baptist Mission, singular, services, plural. Not missions, service, but mission services. The goal is simple. We want to plant confessional Reformed Baptist churches wherever God gives us an opportunity, especially around the world. The Great Commission, as given by our Lord in the New Testament, involves going, evangelizing, making disciples, and teaching them all things whatsoever Christ taught, which means organizing these new believers into local churches. Now, for at least a century, foreign mission boards have taken away the jobs of identifying, recruiting, and training of missionaries from the local churches. And too often, missionary work has been watered down to the extreme such that doctrinal minimalism is the order of the day. I once worked in a church and had tried to reform it. We had 43 missionaries. Whoa. Actually, it was 21, couple, 21 couples and a single guy. But we could, if you see, if you count husband and wife, you count them as two missionaries. It ups your numbers. And I sat down when I inherited this, and I said, what are these people actually doing? What are their job descriptions? Would you please send us your job descriptions? Only one person out of all those missionaries had it as their primary goal, either to evangelize or to do church planning. We had secretaries. We had administrators. We had someone who kept the machines running at the missionary compound. We had all these different things going. And if you're a Christian living in a foreign culture, it was almost to the point you could call yourself a missionary. But actually doing the work of missions, of church planting, was not among these people. We believe that evangelism, teaching, and discipleship leading to the formation of a local church should be the constant and continual aim and activity of our missionary church planners. When we began in 1997 with ARBCA, we had already had a good history with RBMS, and we have a track record. And one of the things we determined was we're not a a thousand churches. We were then probably under 50. And we do not have an infinite amount of money. We can't pay for everything. So what if if we don't get anything else accomplished, what do we want to get accomplished? We want to plant churches, okay? Then that will be our singular goal. We want to plant churches. We don't want to just send people over to do all kinds of ancillary things, as helpful as that might be. I'm not dissing uh, people who go over and help in some subsidiary way. But if at the end of the day we don't plant churches, then we're not really not doing what we had set out to say, what we had said we we're, were going to do, to plant churches. That's the goal, I believe, of the New Testament. In the language of the early 19th century Baptist, particular Baptist Missionary Society in England, RBMS is an agency for holding the ropes while missionaries actually go abroad into the various fields with the gospel. Now, RBMS can assist a local church in seeing to it that the missionary church planner has the adequate training and foreign language and cross-cultural skills necessary to sustain a fruitful and long-term ministry. 
I was reminded during John's excellent message that Paul shares his testimony three times in the book of Acts, and in Acts chapter 26, he includes a detail that he doesn't include in the other two accounts. I was on my way to Damascus, and God spoke to me in the Aramaic dialect. God didn't speak to him in German. He didn't speak to him in New York, Brooklyn, English, and Cockney, English from London. He spoke to him in the Aramaic dialect, first century Hebrew. God speaks the language of the people he's trying to reach. And so we see in in the Pentecost, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and and the unexpected supernatural ability to speak languages you never learned, and people were evangelized in their own language. And I think that's an important thing that we want to see our missionaries have the necessary language skills. When uh, David Vaughan went to France, he spent, even though he was already a translator and bilingual, he spent a year and a half at the University of Dijon taking French lessons and learning perfect French so that the French wouldn't mock him because the French were so persnickety about their French that when Swiss French missionaries came over, they accused him of speaking dog French because it was Swiss French. It wasn't really French French. And David learned his lessons so well that people later on couldn't tell where he was from in France and told me he had like a TV announcer's accent. It was flawless, and he could have been from anywhere in France practically. Now, that, made it, that was very helpful. They, well, he wasn't one of those Swiss-French dogs, and he certainly wasn't an American with an American-French accent, but he spoke good French. Now, the point being is that we want to make sure that our missionaries have every opportunity to, to, to learn as best they can, but they can become an insider and speak to the people in their heart language. One of my friends and idols. Do you ever have friends that you wonder, why was that person my friend? Because they're so wonderful and noble. And you go, why was that person my friend? Martin Holt from South Africa. And to spend a couple of weeks with him in 2010, the year before he died. And we would drive up to get some gas. And a person would rush out to pump your gas. And Martin would speak to him in English and say, well, tell me, what, what tribe are you from? And I don't know, there's 20 or 30 major tribes in South Africa, and he would say one of them, and Martin would start talking to him in his language. And the fellow would just almost like you gave him an electric shock, and he'd be startled and just start rattling off in his language. You know my language? You're the most wonderful person in the whole world. And Martin Holt was their best friend all of a sudden. And then Martin would bring out these Christian newspapers and say, hey, would you like one of these? It's got some good news for you. I said, how did you learn to do that? He said, my grandparents were Lutheran missionaries from Germany to Southwest Africa. He has a whole set of Luther in German and black leather. It's gorgeous. But my dad wasn't called to be that. He was a civil magistrate, and he felt bad that all the natives had to learn either English or they had to learn uh, Afrikaans, Dutch, but they, none of the magistrates knew their language. So court was sometimes difficult. So he said, I'm going to learn as many of their languages as I can so when they come in my courtroom, I will treat them fairly and they can feel like they're being heard. And Martin said, well, why shouldn't I as a pastor try to do that too? So he could speak several South African languages, uh, native languages, and, and do all the clicks and everything, and they'd be amazed, and they would shine up to him like he was their best friend. Now, doesn't that open doors to share the gospel? I, I saw it work right in front of my eyes. We want to help provide training in any cross-cultural skills we can or see to it that that they are able to obtain it. But we don't want to supplant the sending church nor drive any wedge between the local church and the missionary church planter. We want to come alongside the local church 
and help augment the services available to the missionary. We want to help local churches like this local church here to get, to get, their, get their missionary church planner to the field. I was given great comfort last night to, to be told that Fred does it all the time. So one of your parishioners told me, so I felt good. <laughs> the goal of RBMS is to plant churches overseas. Number two, the activities of RBMS in relation to the missionary church planner. What is RBMS's activities in relation to this family right here? We will collect and disperse all funds for the missionary. We will establish accounts in the ARBCA office. We will receive funds from supporters. We will disperse funds to the missionary according to the salary worked out by the missionary and the local church. Financial reports will then be sent to the missionary, and quarterly reports will be sent to the sending church with a list of all donors, financial activity, balances, etc. And pertinent tax forms are sent to the missionary. Now, most local churches don't have... It's set up to start doing these kinds of things. We're already set up to do that. It's a real help. Let me tell you what can happen if you don't do it right. A friend of mine went to England as a missionary church planter. He was there for eight years. His, mission, his ministry was cut short when he discovered that he hadn't understood U.S. tax laws, and after eight years, he owed eight years of back taxes to the U.S. government. And when he came back to the States now as a stateside church, church, church pastor, he wasn't planning a church, but he was pastoring an existing church. His wife had to go to work, and things were really tight for a number of years until they could pay off all those eight years of back taxes in England. So how much more could they have done if they'd had someone who had their back and were helping them with their tax laws? RBMS can help with ongoing training and cooperation with the sending church. For example, we're available for counsel and input for the missionary and the church itself. And when Proverbs, when it teaches, with many counselors comes wisdom, it doesn't mean that I look for five different people to get their take on a situation. I want to find five people who believe in the authority of Scripture, who have roughly the same theology. This is, this is the data. This is how we're approaching the data. Does this appear to be biblically valid to you as you understand the Scripture and as I've painted the situation to you? I want people who are biblically illiterate, as my counselors, I don't want to find five Joes off the street and ask them what they think we should do. But in ARPCA, there can be a plethora of helpers. There can be many counselors because there's people committed to the same scriptures, the same confession. And when a situation comes up, you have men who are committed to the same things but may have a slightly different take than you. RBMS policy encourages the office bearers of the sending church to visit the missionary in the field at least every three years. I was delighted to hear that the elders here are already putting aside monies to go and, and to visit, and uh, not to mention the emergency monies that are always set aside so in case something happens in the host culture and they need to be evacuated quickly, uh, the money's already there for the ticket and they can get out of Dodge. On-site oversight is mandatory for the well-being of the missionary. How do the elders know what's going on in I won't take Australia. I'll say Outer Slobovia, which I talked of last night. How many of you have ever been to Outer Slobovia? Okay. Let the tapes show that none raised their hand. Um, what's the ministry going? What's it like? How is, how is the missionary himself doing? It says in Isaiah, to know well the faces of your flock. 
if your wife walks in the room, man, and you say, hi, dear, how's your day? And she says, fine. And you look at her, and you can just tell by looking at her if her day was fine or if she's just running her mouth. And I believe that elders should know their people such that I've known them well enough, long enough, that something's not right. Um, can the missionary offload his heart with his elders who he's known a long time who care about him? How's the missionary and his wife getting along? Things seem to be a little formal and brisk or cold around the house. How are the kids doing? Well, if I never visit them, I'll never know. And I have, as if I'm an elder of ascending church, I will have primary care for the well-being of that missionary. How's the work doing? How's it coming along? This builds strong ties between the missionary and the sending church if the officers of the church visit. And too often in the past, as I mentioned last night, churches have delegated on-site visitation to the ARPCA coordinator, who was then alone by himself in examining the health and well-being of the missionary, trying to track how he thought the family was doing, how the work was doing, and then come back and objectively communicate this analysis back to the sending church and back to RBMS. It put all the analysis on one person, and he would have his strengths and weaknesses, his personal biases, but it's always helpful to have more than one set of eyeballs on a situation. Scripturally, truth is confirmed by two witnesses, not by an omnicompetent ARPCA coordinator. So it's often argued that finances and manpower mitigates against sending more than one man to visit the mission field. I get that. But Scripture and church history tell us another story. We cannot afford to send one man when Scripture says to send two or more. Now, sometimes there's somebody waiting for you there, and he's the second person, the compliment. But certainly, we need to have our men going to visit you, particularly if you're going by yourself. Point number three. The relationship between the missionary and RBMS. I just explained how what we're prepared to do for the missionary... To work together in an association of local churches, some authority is delegated to the association by the sending churches. What do I mean by that? We believe as Baptists that each local church stands on its own. Fine. But we don't believe in the um, absolute autonomy of the local church in the sense that Scripture teaches the Trinity, the deity of Christ, independency. I think that's an exaggeration of independency, particularly in light of our confession, which says, we're obligated to have communion, to have an association with other churches in some kind of geographical area. That's incumbent upon us. Okay, so if we're going to work together, we're going to send a missionary to the field. Now, this local church can send anybody they want to. They can send women. They can send teenage girls to the mission field if they want to. There's no one to stop them. But if they want to work with the rest of the churches in our association then they need to be cleared with the rest of the association in terms of, can we vet, vet your potential missionary candidate? You're in love with this person. You think they're fantastic. Can we look at them? And then after a committee would examine them and say, well, we see what you see. We, we, we agree that they should be sent. Then you have our permission to go through all the churches in ARPCA to raise support. Now, one church misunderstood this horribly and said, if we accept this person to go out and to try to raise support from our sister churches, then uh, it's automatic that it will be done and we guarantee their salary. No, we don't guarantee anybody's salary. Uh, It's up to the, the local church and the grace of God to raise the money up for the missionary. But we're giving you a commendation and fellowship. The only thing 
we can give you is what we can take away from you. As a local church, we can commend you. This is a church in good standing with our association, and they're good brothers. We commend them, and we fellowship with them. If this church should go off the beam and go into some terrible doctrinal pit, what can we take away from them? Well, according to the scriptures as we understand them in our confession of faith, we have no power to come into the local church, mess around with the leadership, mess around with things, do our will in this church. That's not how we understand authority is, is brokered. But rather, if after the situation would be investigated, this church was really off the beam, we would only take away from them what we gave them on the front end. We no longer give them a commendation. We're sorry, but we can't commend this church. It's gotten sick. And we can't fellowship with you all anymore. The church is still standing. They still have the same leadership. So um, we believe that we can help, and you can pool resources with like-minded churches. We can help you vet the missionary. I can think of situations where people were put forward, and I was on the RBMS committee for years before I went off and just came back on, but we had men who came forward, and this one church said, this guy is fantastic, and he wants to go to Africa and help so-and-so. Well, when we met with him, we started asking him some questions. He got mad at us, stood up and told us all off, and stomped out of the room. And then about half an hour later, he came back crying, I'm so sorry, I didn't mean to do that. And then the next day, he was mad again. I said, well, I don't know what's going on with this guy, but we don't think he's ready. You know, uh, we were able to disagree with that local church and really spare them from an embarrassment and a misuse of funds. Um, he, he shouldn't, uh, and he didn't, thankfully, go. We, we wouldn't commend him. We, and um, again, the church could have chosen to send him. That's their prerogative. But they did listen to other counselors who said, he's very immature, he needs some growing up, he needs to be in charge of his family, and we don't think he's ready. I can think of another situation where a young man was told by the local church, we agree with your call, we'll take you to Arpka. He was brought before us. He was uh, very proud. He had been in two Arpka churches, but he knew all Arpka was shot through with all these doctrinal problems and attitude problems, and he had had a 10-page paper critiquing Arpka. And he'd only ever been in two churches. And um, it was really bad. And... We had to tell his church we didn't accept him. How dare you not accept him? He's our fair-haired boy. We said, we're not trying to be mean, but we don't see him the way you do. And he's, he's not handled himself well. You know, he's, uh, he's done X, Y, and Z. And, uh, well, we're not obligated to accept every candidate. But when we do accept one, that means that he, his needs and his calling can be shopped around to all the ARPA churches with our blessing. And normally men get their support well within a year. Some parachurch ministries now, you're talking about raising support two, three, and four years to get enough support to go to the field, which means for three years you might be raising support to raise support. But it's really hard in a lot of the parachurch ministries and in broad evangelicalism. But our churches do get behind missionaries who are both sent by the local church and vetted by uh, RBMS to be a good man that we should get behind. We ask missionaries to keep us informed as to their heart status, their family health, their ministry update, and everything else pertinent to their field work. 
Missionaries are asked to write newsletter updates at least every two months, a longer quarterly report, and an end-of-the-year update that goes in the ARBCA updates. I sent out an email to members of the RBMS committee recently. There's an article on Christianity Today how missionaries are learning to be honest and really report what's really going on and some of their struggles and status of the work because the things that have been in the cracks of our culture have been in the cracks of missionary service and um, struggles in marriage, children being abused at missionary schools, all these things that are going on in the mission world out there that nobody ever said boo about, everybody's fine and we're fine and give us some more money, thank you, we're fine. And nobody says anything. And so people are starting to write uh, stories of their own missions experience. Read Elizabeth Elliot's material closely and uh, These Strange Ashes or No Graven Image. She had a hard time finding a publisher. Was it for No Graven Image or These Strange Ashes? Because, well, it's too negative. We don't want, people don't want to hear that kind of stuff about how hard it is. When the person who's helping you translate is murdered outside of a bar, and then the next night, your tent is burned down and all of your two years of missionary translation work is burned up and your two years were for nothing and how she had to struggle with her understanding of who God was. And the publisher said, people don't want to read things like this. Well, it's true. It really happens. And people need to be prepared for that. So we want our missionaries to give us a feedback of, of how they're doing and you know we don't want to hear every time a husband and wife have an argument but um, I've known missionaries who came back from the mission field for marital problems or for psychological needs and I wouldn't want to be I wouldn't want to push a person until they went over the brink because we were insensitive to them or we didn't give them an opportunity to give us feedback The missionaries are to make sure that all support funds are channeled through ARBCA RBMS accounting system. It's not because we're greedy or we're taking half their money. There have been problems in the past when missionaries have received funds literally from all over the world, but only reported what came through the states through the RBMS ARBCA office. So let's say you had money coming in from Protestants in Germany and Holland and Europe and Switzerland and England and Australia and New Zealand, but we only knew about the monies that came from the United States. And so a person might be receiving what sensibly was this kind of salary with this kind of a working fund, but they might have four or five times that much money coming in from other places. And we didn't know about it because they weren't doing it right. All funds must be channeled through the RBMS ARPCA office and thereby reported to the sending church those proper accountability and accounting. And also, if, if funds were terrible, you need to know, and, and we need to know, because um, the IRS came down on one parachurch ministry I work with. I work with two, so you don't know which one it was. But the, par the IRS said, you cannot send people to the field who don't have all their support. And many people would say, oh, I can live on 40% of what I'm supposed to be raising and then get out there and they'd choke and die practically. And, for example, if we had, uh, had let the Beardmores go to Australia and they said, well, they got 40% of what they need, we're going to trust God, and, blah, blah, blah. and they get there and they're just struggling because just to make it and that kind of money, that would not be a loving thing to do nor helpful. And um, the, the local church 
and the consortium of churches, the association, needs to know how finances are, to know, at least in this one need of the missionary, are they doing okay? Um, we need to know those things. Missionaries are to notify their ascending church as well as RBMS should their doctrinal commitments change. Because the missionary already lives at a distance from the sending church and RBMS, spiritual integrity demands that doctrinal changes be worked out in consultation with the sending church and RBMS before conclusions are reached. We've had some sad situations recently where missionaries, without any consultation with either RBMS or their sending church, made unilateral decisions about doctrinal changes and simply informed people, well, I've done my own deal and I'm out of here. Well... That doesn't speak well of humility, of meekness, of wanting to learn from other men. Uh, they just unilaterally made decisions without either their sending church or RBMS involved. Some missionaries work in such isolation, they do not take into account that there are two entities under whom they serve. The sending church is the primary one, but RBMS is an ancillary authority under the chief authority, Jesus Christ, they should always view these two entities that way. Your primary authority is your sending church, but an ancillary authority is RBMS. We vetted you and we gave you permission to raise funds from the rest of the churches and considered you one of us. And if that's the case, you owed as much to RBMS as much to your sending church to say, we've become Greek Orthodox. Okay, well, talk to us about that. How did you become Greek Orthodox? And I chose that because I had a pastor call me once after a a Calvinistic Baptist conference, and he said, I want to talk. I'm having some doctrinal struggles. And he was in the state of Georgia. He was in Jessup. And uh, I said, well, let's get together and talk. And he didn't call me back. And then three months later, I heard that he'd become Greek Orthodox. And that's a huge jump from being a, a uh, 689 Reformed Baptist in South Georgia to being Greek Orthodox. And he never talked to anybody. Didn't talk to his elders until he announced he was leaving. When missionaries become laws unto themselves on the mission field, bypassing their sending and their commending churches, spiritual harm is usually the result. Okay, well, that's all I have. I'm, this is penance for speaking so long last night. I'm speaking a shorter version this afternoon. There is time for questions. Um, the goal of RBMS is to plant churches overseas. The activities... I mentioned and the responsibilities and the relationship between RBMS and the sending church and the missionary church planter.